That's great. How are you doing, Gabe? What have you been doing so far? I'm doing good. I'm excited to talk to you about OSR, my friend. I've actually been looking forward to this for quite some time. Um, <laughs> but I am doing good. I will introduce myself, I guess. We're kind of going through this in a fun first time on our own way. So my name is Gabe. Uh, I am a D&D player. Uh, specifically, I really enjoy OSR. Uh, I have been playing and I began my journey in the world of tabletop gaming about 17 years ago. So when I was 15, because I'm 32 now. And uh, I really like old school D&D. Um, so much so that, uh, you know, I'm currently writing a book, which will be coming out through Disaster Tourism. It's a setting book. Uh, and I have an OSR-based sleeve. So Great. That's that. Very, very, very jelly. <laughs> yeah, I, it, it's cool. It, it hurts. I actually have a session tomorrow, which will be finishing up Orcus. Ah. But, but, you know, enough about that. Tell me more about you. Well, I'm called Malcolm, and I've been playing role-playing games since I was, like, I think 12. Uh, my friend Sergio introduced me and some other friends to it and it was lots and lots of fun and of course i've been doing a lot of different things during the years but i got back into role playing maybe 10 years ago now and fell right into the osr myself so that's basically what i've been doing with my free time the past <laughs> decade yeah putting all my time into the, into old school dnd i also play mostly uh different uh, osr clones primarily my own version of swords and wizardry i take that and then i add specific subsystems from other versions like the morale system from basic and and some things from od and d that swords and wizardry has cut out so i put that into the game too so i play that with my friends both at work well, i have two groups at work actually one i played with before the pandemic and then another group now after the pandemic pandemic games were Quite a thing. <laughs> it was a very hard transition, I think, for everybody. I, I was so into playing with my friends, reading the room, having oh, yeah. like 10 people playing with me. And when you play online, it took me a long time to get there, but I got a, a virtual tabletop up and running. Uh, I started playing with my friends now this, uh, this fall. We're probably 20 sessions in now. Uh, now it's been great, but we can't be as many people because it's really difficult to have 10 people on voice chat. <laughs> yeah, that's something that I never I never thought about and I know it sounds kind of like uh, short-sighted maybe, but when you're in a room, right? So my my main group, it's a horror campaign and it's it's seven seven players, one DM. Um I never thought about as a DM how much communication is conveyed through body language versus through discord and like body language in the sense of like in the same room. Yeah. So we found out very quickly that you can have four or five people talking at once, you know, during a combat and it's not that disruptive in person in discord. If someone starts talking and you have at least like three people, it just, it just turns into chaos like something as small as just like leaning into the person next to you and being like, Hey, what are you doing next turn? Like you can have that quiet side convo and in discord, it's basically like everyone has to stand at the podium and then say their thing. And then it's their turn. And it, it took a lot for us to actually transition 
into that and then transition back out of it because our first session, um, once we all got uh, vaccinated and stuff in person, everyone was still used to that regiment of it is my turn to speak. It is my turn to go. Kind oh, of yeah, thing. yeah. Yeah. And we're, we're just starting to get out of it, but it took about six to seven sessions and we meet every other week. So that's like, I don't know, like two, three, two, three months, something like that. So I always thought one thing that we noticed during uh, when you read about the old versions of Dungeons and Dragons, which is probably something we'll bring up over and over again <laughs> during this podcast, but they talk about the caller and it's a role where basically, I suppose in the olden, olden days, you had a, a, a referee. And there were a lot of people in the room. So I think the distinction between a LARP and a a tabletop role-playing session was quite fluid. So you'd have one person probably pick up everything what the other people were doing, and they would communicate that to the the referee. So they were called the callers. Because you read the suggested amount of users in the original Dungeons & Dragons uh, rule books, and it's like 20 people, even more. So it's crazy high. So I suppose it was like a LARP. That you had a, a referee, one or two, sitting at a table, and there were a bunch of activities done in the room. And they, whatever was done that needed the referee to, to know about, they came to him and told him. And so he had a caller. So he had a distinctive person who had that role. And that, that was probably not necessary uh, all, when everyone's playing. I mean, it sounds kind of crazy nowadays, especially when you only yeah, have like four or five people that have one person to talk to the referee. But I can imagine that is probably something that could work now. I like a full table. I like 10, 11 people because it's, lot. it's lots of fun, a lot of energy, and uh, it really uh, works out well. You don't have to have that many hirelings. you got a, a good table, but on- online that won't work. But if you oh, did God, have a no. caller, <laughs> you had a caller, you, people would chatter and discuss, and then, okay, the, the ref says, okay, I need to know what's happening now. Uh, Peter, you're the caller. Tell me what everyone's doing. I suppose that could... Strange enough, that might work now. <laughs> like the first time I ever thought the caller could actually have a function would be over oh, yeah. Discord or something like that or Zoom. My solution was basically tell everybody like, all right, initiatives rolled. Um, you know, Malcolm, you're up. And then it's Bob and then it's Joe and then it's like Kyle or whatever. And then I would just say, OK, you're on deck. Start thinking you're second on deck. Start thinking. And they picked up on it like fairly easy. I mean, that's just like a plain table rule, but yeah i mean we we pretty much all agreed like oh yeah this is terrible when everyone's talking <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah um, I, I try to use normal like meeting techniques that i'm the ref it's my pro- responsibility to make sure that everyone's heard i ask people specifically what they want to do if they're quiet i uh, definitely ask them what's what's your take on this what what do you think should be done now oh yeah and, the, and my players are great about asking each other okay uh, what do you think so that has worked out fine, but I still, they're like four people and I think you can't, or you probably can, but my sense of old school D&D, the balance is not an issue, but I don't think you can really play with two players. It's a little too few. So I have like three minimum and I would like to play with five, but so far it's always been basically four. I, I suppose you could play with two people and then you have a bunch of hirelings and maybe 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 even the characters have two characters each and that way you get a somewhat well-rounded team that could handle the situations because I, I i've never played just like just regular D with like a bunch of hirelings with one player just like a really rich bastard <laughs> like seven <laughs> hirelings or something yeah exactly i got five fun. i have like two uh, fighters they only get half xp i have one magic user and then just a bunch of uh 
torchbearers and uh, some minute arms. <laughs> that's all. Now that's a campaign <laughs> idea. You basically play, you write a story where someone is just a really, really like fat, rich capitalist, like yeah. piece of shit. Right. And they're basically like, I, I'm picturing someone on like one of those um, chairs that people carry and then they just hire like 15 underlings. And then you basically just, you're basically just meta playing like a party management system at that point. Yeah, I guess you're just playing Darkest Dungeon in a way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but in, in at tabletop. But anyway, uh, how about we dive in? For our first episode, and I suspect that this is the same thing for every podcast, is that the first episode gets a lot of, uh, not views, but a lot of people listen to it. So I figured we might as well begin the show with discussing, like, what is the OSR? What is the old school renaissance? Because I think that it's a term that's bandied about a lot. And I don't know if everyone understands what it means. And we'll probably talk exclusively about it on this podcast. Yeah, there's a lot of confusion about it, too. Because I've definitely talked to people that have uh, only heard a certain side of things with OSR. Yeah. Um, so there's a few misconceptions that hopefully we can we can correct and change course. Well, what is the OSR? Well, it's called the old school renaissance. And yep. what that basically has been is there were a lot of players in the early aughts who were missing the, goal, the good old days when dungeon design and game design was a lot different. And they were thinking of the 70s. And in the 70s, there was a lot more white space in the rules. And there were a lot of more uh, uh, problem solving when playing their games. So they wanted to go back from that because I believe this the movement uh, started around the time of Dungeons and Dragons 3rd edition, yeah. the beginning of 4th edition. Osric was the first one. Yeah, exactly. Castles and Crusades. Those are the first games that came out that basically just wanted to have a more old school bent on how to play compared to the very tactical and very complex game that D&D had become at that time. There sprung up a movement around that. So that's what basically what the old school renaissance is right now, at least. And there is a version of OSR for everybody. I have an OSR game for one DM, one player. That is Scarlet Heroes. People are really creative and they will make a version of OSR for anything. A lot of people think it's only retro role-playing, which it's not. It's more rich than that. It's not only playing things from... 85 and earlier there's a bunch of different systems that give you different things and the osr is about giving i think a particular experience i i, I agree too completely this episode i think we can discuss about mostly the play style the osr can mean a bunch of different things but we can talk about what is the play style of the old school renaissance what kind of games do they want to create yeah i i would say if i may start please do I guess I'm going to tackle these through kind of like the lens of someone that has only like vaguely heard of OSR. I would say that a lot of people assume that it's just really, really, really ultra difficult Dark Souls level of D&D, which it can be. But I think that the big thing is that it is more rooted in risk versus reward mm. than modern systems. And that's not knocking modern systems. 
it's just a different play style. The thing with OSR is that it's not super brutal, punishing, you know, old school play where if you accidentally step on a tile, we're just going to make you have a miserable time. It's more so in this game, we inspect the tiles before we move forward. You know, it's like a philosophy and a way of thinking. Um, so one of the notes that I had written down was problem solving through creative means versus through mechanical means. So it, I would say in a modern system, and I'm not just saying, you know, 5e, I'm saying just systems overall in general have kind of adapted this way. Um, a lot of problem solving can easily just be brute forced, right? So um, I'm thinking back to when I was in a 5e campaign, we were in the Underdark and we accidentally came across a troll camp in those camps um we decided to just go ahead and loot and pillage and take all the valuables and stuff and then dip all the trolls came and we were outnumbered i think at one point like three to one we were able to just brute force our way in um without even talking to them and i would say in osr that's just you're going to die (laughs) that's how you (laughs) die so um osr tends to reward players and this is assuming your dm is not a you know, cruel person and just is out there to kill players. But I would say in in that type of situation, OSR would tend to reward and encourage play like staring at the trolls and being like, look it, we got through your security. We got through your camp and through your guards. We took all your valuables. You don't know what we can do next to you. How about this? We'll return some of your loot if you give us safe passage. Exactly. Kind of brokering or creative means or like, oh, no, they have one bridge and then they have our only other exit out. But there's a creek on the side. What if we repel down the side and then try to like sneak past like things like that, I think, is what OSR encourages versus just. All right, cool. We got a lot. Well, let's just sit here and then we'll just, you know, slaughter our way through. What I like about role playing, and this has taken me many, many years to understand, is that I'm not a great actor. I don't like really to embody characters. I'm very self-conscious. So if, if you think role playing is basically just inhabiting a character and living the life of that character in some way, I don't think that is as interesting. What I like is to be engaged in problem solving. I like to have a situation in front of me and it's me as the player who gets to solve this problem. And it's oh, not... Yeah just me trying to figure out which game mechanic would be the right solution for this problem i mean more more freeform than that if you see a locked door and there is no uh keyhole how do you get past it there doesn't have to be a specific system for how to unlock a door you can just have that problem okay and then you start thinking with your friends around the table and start to figure out how can we get past this? Can we knock the door off? Are the hinges on our side or on the other side? Are there other ways to get into the next room and all that stuff? So I think that's that's when I think it's most interesting at its most basic level, just getting past the door. Otherwise, it could be like you say, like, how do I uh, convince these NPCs, these non-player characters to accept something that we know that they wouldn't really want to, but we need to yeah. make them accept it. So how do, how do we do that? So that's what I like about role-playing is the, the problem-solving portions. And I also love, of course, seeing uh, game systems with player agency and seeing what the outcome when they, those two things meet. And I like a, a rules-light game, of course. So problem-solving becomes more free-form. And then I think that's, that's great. It's funny you've mentioned this, and I, I feel like you and I have talked about this multiple times but i think it's it's worth bringing up again um, especially now since we're trying to describe and define what osr is 
Um, but uh, I think, and, and again, I, I just want to say this first and foremost, and then I just won't keep saying it over and over again. I'm not knocking modern systems. No. I'm one of the, I, I, I will say this right now. I'm one of the few fans of OSR, um, like deep, 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 deep OSR fan fandom right here. Um, that I also just don't mind playing 5e. Like, I think a lot of, there is some OSR players that are very against 5e. I have yeah. zero issues with 5e. In fact, I think 5e is like probably the second best edition of D&D behind Moldvay Basic, which is my favorite. Um, so take anything I say as just not me making a dig at 5e. With yeah. that being said, one of the things that I think I love and appreciate the most, and I hope that at some point we can go back to this mindset, is scaling back the power level and reach that we have for the most part your average adventurer in osr is going to be solving local problems and not just like planes hopping and stuff so we're like i think and it, it is cool to see in 5e things like you know like we are going to go through and then defeat like 15 sea giants and frost giants and all this and then we're going to go and then ride tiamat straight into avernus and like it's very epic but at the same time i really really like being in a dungeon hearing some kind of squishing slopping sound peering around the corner and then being told by my dm there are three ghouls and a um, skeletal knight and they're patrolling um, this hallway but you can also see that right next to them is a rusted gate with a big golden treasure chest like that right there is like that is that power scale is so minimal but at the same time as an osr player i look at that and i go like that is super deadly you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's that's something that I really appreciate about OSR. And I mean, you can have that in 5e, but I think that it's a bit more difficult simply because of how quickly those creatures can be killed by like a level one or level two, you know? And I'm probably one of those people that bag on 5th edition a lot because it doesn't bring me what I want out of Which a role-playing game. Totally but fine. that's that, that's me. That You and me can be different sides of that. But I, I think that <laughs> the cool thing there with the old versions is that of course there's a kind of zero to hero journey there that you can get to plane hopping and meeting gods and defeating gods and becoming a demigod i mean all that is possible in the old versions too but it's 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 such a long journey to get to those levels so when you start out and i love that about the first versions of DD, like uh, in AD&D first edition you have giant ants and giant ants are basically the size of small cats even smaller i think <laughs> yeah and that's 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 not huge they're not like the size of cars or anything they're just the size of a cat that's a huge ant that, that is a huge ant and, and 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 i love the art in the in the monster manual oh, where yeah. you see a guy getting swarmed by these ants and then you understand the horror of it because yeah. if giant animals are too big they just become fantastical and they're not scared anymore I but see a giant centipede which is basically a foot long centipede that's really poisonous that's super creepy oh, and yeah. i love uh skeletons and uh, and zombies zombies are terrible because they really hit hard 
they're, oh, they're yeah, really dude. slow, but they hit really hard. I remember my friends, oh, zombies. This is really lightweight because they played other role-playing games and they start fighting the zombies and, they, and the zombies start killing people, just beating them to death. <laughs> yeah, dude. And they, oh my God, the zombies. And they just run away because they can because zombies are very slow. So they just, but the, that was a great thing that the typical monsters are always something to fear, at least when you're lower level. Of course, when you get higher level, you feel like you've earned it, just like in Dark Souls, like in mm-hmm. all those kind of games. Like Not because necessarily that the game gets any easier but it's just that you feel that i've handled so much stuff now i'm starting to get into the swing of things and i'll start being more you know uh, aggressive Mm -hmm. but in the beginning you're super scared of everything and like a bear a normal bear is a terrible foe (laughs) to deal with in the game if you aggravate a bear because the game doesn't say what kind of intelligence or what kind of you know reaction system a bear should have so you as a ref can just play that bears are bears so bears are really easy to you know scare and if you just leave some food and all that kind of stuff but if you if it charges you then it's going to be a a combat situation and then the bear will probably start tearing people apart with their i think their three attacks or something like that the the thing that i love telling people about when they first get into osr and stuff is like how many because you were talking about like giant ants and like they're swarming a dragon and it's like that's terrifying like that's scaled down power but that's terrifying so like and one of my favorite examples of that is actually the yellow musk creeper yeah so the yellow musk creeper is basically just a plant it's like a vine that just chills on the side of a stone wall and gives off this aroma of like honey or like some kind of musky sweet cinnamon. I always describe it like the smell of like Christmas time. That that's just me, like like a honey clove kind of a thing. And when people get close by, it essentially is just like a brain parasite that just takes over you and you become infected and you become a walking plant zombie. Which is in nature. Like, there's plants and then there's worms that do this to creatures. Like, this is very realistic. And when you kill someone that's been infected with a yellow musk creeper, they explode and then shoot the spores out, too. And it's, like, the idea that this thing cannot be killed and is, like, a relatively low-ish level creature. Like, that's the type of stuff that I love about OSR because it's... You have to be just hyper aware of your surroundings. And it's that's, I think, the big takeaway for me uh, versus modern systems is that something as local as a small plant out in the wild can easily TPK you if you aren't lucky. Um, Also, throat leeches. If you just tell like your DM, yeah, my my player is thirsty. I'm going to go to this river and you don't specifically say I'm going to be using um, like a cloth on top of a jar and I'm going to try and do like some kind of basic filtering or like I'm going to boil the water or whatever. They can just go like, you know what, throat leeches. And you're just going to like take a ton of damage over the course of like, I think it's like a week or something. I love all those environmental hazards that really take their toll. The thing with the enemy you can't kill, that's also becomes problem solving. Okay, how do Mm -hmm. we nullify the effects in such a way that we can actually get away from here, maybe having to sacrifice one of our (laughs) expedition colleagues, but still the rest of us can get away. Or can we save that person? How can we do that? How can we do? I suppose that's learning by doing. When you've destroyed someone who's infected, that becomes a huge experience for all the players there. Mm -hmm. But I also think that these play styles are great for new players. uh, Because I understand 
the joys of acting and being role playing. But I think that's a big ask for people to inhabit a character. But if you play it with the OSR style, it becomes basically just problem solving. And then you can grow into the acting or the, the role playing part. Like you have a situation in front of you as a player. How do you deal with this? And that's a lot easier to I as a new player. I have basically the same knowledge level as my character would, maybe, yeah. perhaps. And then it becomes a great uh, uh, bridge there. So I can deal with the situation as my character would, but it wouldn't be that different as how I myself would act, I Your think. Your best tool at, like, level one to level... I honestly say, like, four in OSR is role-playing and just, like, speechcraft-type stuff. Like, that, that, is, that is your strongest weapon, hands down. Um, and I think, um, it's good, you know, like, I I don't want to say like every 5e player needs to do this, but like, I think that, and I always encourage this. Um, so like, like just quick, like, um, quick side story. I have a buddy and he's, he's only ever played 5e and he's, he's a passionate DM and he's, he's really talented DM. He's shown me a lot of his writing and stuff. Um, he's probably been DMing for maybe like a year or two. Um, Actually, I think it's probably close to like two, three years. Uh, regardless, uh, he asked me once, he's like, so like, what are some tips that I can do to be a better DM? And I told him a couple things, but then I kind of realized like, honestly, man, you just need to like either play or run some OSR. Um, because <laughs> I think that when you take everything that we've said into consideration, like environmental hazards, dealing with players that like, they have maybe like a dagger or if they're a caster, they're just sitting there like, you know, tossing a sling all night, you know, yeah. missing left and right. Um, when you take all of those things into consideration, it's a different game when you DM too. Um, Cause you have to think of like, what is something dangerous to these players um, that might present a alternative way of problem solving for them. Such as, like I said, if we were to go back to the troll thing, all right, you know, balls and now your court, how are you going to get out of this uh, troll cave with all the loot on them? Having to kind of work with players that are now kind of uh, deer in the headlights, like, oh, shit, what do we do? Like, you don't typically find that type of stuff in 5e. So I think players that are either on the playing end of that or the DMing of that, you learn so much about yourself as a role player or as a DM. Um because it's just not really something you come across anymore. Um, no, and it, it's, no just, exactly. it's just the, how the game is, you know? So I believe that when we play a lot of role-playing games, you create a character. And there are times where you really want to build your character. You want to have your backstory. You want to have an interesting quirk, perhaps. And you want to have a goal. And that's fine. And that's great. But I like the OSR style of playing. Oftentimes, you just roll a character completely randomly yeah. and then you might get a lot of characters that are not great and that is also can also be fun to play and yeah. because of that and because of the deadliness of the osr play style and how for example old school dungeons and dragons is a lot of characters might die very quickly i think you have to be okay with losing a character quickly and because you randomized it and you probably put not so much thought into the character in the, at the beginning that'll be okay it'll be an oh that's great that uh, the hammer trap destroyed me and that was fun and now i'm dead and that was really <laughs> scary and all the, everyone around the table is like ooh, they they jump up and like oh yeah. he died already 
oh my God, oh, oh no. And then they start to understand how dangerous everything is. That sets the expectations immediately. Yeah. And then because of that, you have to roll again. And then maybe that next character will be a little better than the last one or a little worse. I have oh, yeah. had players who had one hit point characters and uh, they actually level up and get to second level and they get to roll again. They get more hit points at their second level. So they survive the entire first level with just one HP, which is really dangerous because, I mean, just falling down can kill you. There's a bunch of traps and some things that could really destroy you. For those that do not know, OSR character creation is a lot different from your modern system. So your stats are going to be the same. You're still going to have strength, context, whiz, uh, intellect, and what am I missing here? Charisma? Charisma, yes, thank you. Had a blanked out there for a second. Uh, charisma. <laughs> but uh, yes, uh, so in modern systems, you basically will roll um, 46K3. So that's, you know, you roll 46, you keep the highest three, you write that down, and you do that six times. With OSR, you roll 3D6, and that's your strength stat. You roll 3D6, and that's your deck stat. You go top to bottom. And when you are done and you've done that six times, that is your character. Character creation is way different. And I think I'd even say like character development is way different because you can't really say like, oh, I'm going to be a magic user, um, which no. in OSR, <laughs> don't. That, that there's don't. no there's no wizard or sorcerer or anything like that. It's just magic user. Um, so you don't get to say like, oh, I want to be this or I want to be this. I think you can probably rely on fighter because I don't think there's any um, prime requisite or anything like well, they, that they have or, strength and they, they get a little more xp if they have a high enough strength score so there's yeah. there is reasons to do it but yeah you, anybody can be anybody that's true but like you say you want to roll first and then that that will basically determine what yeah. you will be <laughs> yeah exactly and at, it's cool because like i think it's a quick god this is going to sound slightly elitist it, there's a quick like reality check you know because if you're like I'm going to be Gunthar, like protector of the realms, and I'm going to wield my sword, um, you know, ex Stalaber. <laughs> nah, dude, you're you're gonna be a farmer with like a rake. <laughs> like that is that is how it is, and it's because um, of how that works. So you basically roll your six stats, and then you have to basically go and see what are you allowed to be. Um, next to nobody's gonna be a paladin because paladin, you basically have to have god rolls from the start. It's Pretty ridiculous. Uh, most people are going to be like, um, uh, if we're doing Moldate Basic, which is what I'm most used to, probably like an elf or a dwarf or something like that. Um, but uh, it makes it really cool, though, because when you do come across a paladin, you are seeing like a, a true rarity. And that's, you know, assuming that they didn't game the system and just write down that they got those rolls. But I will tell you, when you do see it happen, it is the coolest thing ever because I have seen someone roll up a paladin in front of me for an OSR campaign. And dude, it, they were bad as shit. <laughs> they were so cool rolling with a paladin. It's just you were basically rolling with just an angel that has a hammer. Like, it's so sick. Um, so uh, I'd say thinking about that thing, like, and kind of is what separates OSR from modern systems is that um, something as small as class decision is way cool because I don't think I've ever been in a situation in 5e where I've gotten that amped at being like oh damn we have you know an oath of conquest pally with us 
versus an OSR. It's like, oh, dude, we have a pally with us. Like, yeah, we we got an edge. Maybe we'll live. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, I can only second that. I had a player in my group at work, and he was like a classic role player. So he, oh, I have this idea of a character. He had a picture and everything. I was like, okay, uh, let's let's see what you roll first, and let's build on that. And he got a character, and he got only one HP, so that he wasn't powerful. And then he became like, okay, my character is more sickly. Yeah, that's great. So and he changed his picture to fit that. And then he started role playing with us and and playing that character. So all his preconceived character notions went like out the window basically immediately because he couldn't he become a fighter. And he, I think he was a thief instead. And then with a very low HP that that came afterwards also, of course, but uh, after he chose the class and he became a great player uh, because he just rolled with it and figured out what can I do in this world. So while the other players were very much in, interested in in the dynamics of dungeoneering and and fighting monsters and uh, solving different uh, traps and such he was way more into figuring out how the politics of the the starting village was so he hmm. started meeting up with the mayor and he's having meetings with a clergyman so every time we were back in town he had a lot of stuff he did he he met people and he started mm -hmm. planning for the future and he, I don't think he had that in him beforehand when he sat down to play and then he saw how the world was he started thinking how can i interact with this world yeah so he started like really interacting with the npcs which the other people hadn't done at all they were basically just this guy sells me my stuff this person <laughs> runs the bar and that's where i get my rumors they were more like you know more like a game while he was like acting like they were real people and that really gave something new and great yeah. so that was so fun how he thought what the game was going to be something and it wasn't that and he just just went with it and he created a lot of great moments in the game you saying how getting involved in politics and all of that is is also kind of like an old school thing and not just using it as like a vending machine or whatever um it, it's literally like the old school mentality is taking the scraps at the bottom of the barrel and stretching them out as best as you can. It's literally min-maxing the crumbs. Yeah, I love that because one thing I really like about the OSR playstyle is that it's, like I said before, it's really easy to introduce people to it. So I always have new players who've never played anything in role-playing before. And recently I had a friend who they have met whites which are basically very powerful ghosts and Ooh. they they were terrible and they were level one level two and they, they, this is high level stuff so they they were having huge problems uh, so they fled and they've been thinking about those ghosts for <laughs> sessions and sessions they keep on uh, doing their thing and they, they found level in quotes level appropriate stuff to do uh, but they know those whites are out there so when they're back in town They've uh, leveled up, they've spent a lot of money, they're having fun, they're buying stuff in the town. Uh, and she thinks, well, maybe I can contact, because she's a cleric, and she doesn't know divine intervention or anything like that, but she just tells me, maybe I can contact my demon god and Ooh. ask them how to handle these ghosts. And I was like, that's great stuff. For anyone who oh, plays yeah. D&D, that's like basic knowledge but she didn't know that and then, then we started discussing how how do you want to do this what kind of ritual do you want to do so she started to discuss how it was going to be 
uh, I asked, okay, there, are there going to be any sacrifices or anything like that? She's always framed her uh, religion a little bit more on the uh, hedonistic, ecstatic side. So I was asking, are there going to be orgies? What are you going to do? Oh, <laughs> she said, no, no sex, no, no animal sacrifices, dancing. Okay, that's great. So she got her followers. They started to dance and she contacted her God. And I thought it was so cool that I didn't want to roll for it. I just let it slide. Okay, you, yeah. you automatically get contact. Or you can do the thing where you roll and then you're like, yeah, you're good. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I didn't want to do it there. I, in the future, maybe it'll be more erratic, the contact between her and her God. But this time I just figured this is the first time she's done it. It has to work. It fits so well. So, uh, so she did it. It was lots of fun. Then I used uh, another hallmark of the OSR, of course, is using random generation to create a lot of stuff. So I had a bunch of tables that I was using to generate this content because I had no idea there's no magical item against whites. I don't know what she's talking about, but okay. Yeah. So I say that there probably is. There, there should be at least. So there's probably some item. So I roll what it is. I roll who has it. I think it was some kind of uh, clergyman. And that person has a relic that would help. And I haven't decided what the relic will be. I'll, I'll probably generate that later. But I told him, okay, uh, if you want to know what the relic does, the players need to interact with them and try them out to find out what they do. So they, they know that already. So I told him, your god will tell you what the relic will do if you do something for, you know, the god demands some kind of action on that. So I roll the table. Deal with the devil, basically. And then it's like crusade. Ooh. Okay. So, so now she has to wage war on another demon god and their followers, and they will have the relic that she needs. So that little encounter that she initiated on her own, lots of fun, something I had no idea was going to come up. And now that might actually set a pathway for the players for many sessions. Oh yeah! If they really want to have that item, they're going to have to do this. And it got really violent really quickly. She was really unprepared. And I told them the gods are fickle. They'll demand some really messed up stuff mm -hmm. <laughs> sometimes. And that's what happened now. So she's like, okay, they might not act on it. They might think it's not to their advantage to do that right now. But there's a story seed there, totally randomly generated and uh, something that she acted upon. So that was also great. That's quite the story. And I think like the perfect example of kind of like um, what a player can do and bring in a game that is more open in the world of OSR than say like a modern 5e system. Like what they, what they can do. Yeah, because I always get the sense that because the systems are so often so advanced, it becomes kind of gated what's possible, mm -hmm. what you can do. There's so many items, there's so many adventures, you can play with those. Here it's like, because the OSR is a very pro sandbox, the, yeah. the original versions of D&D &D had basically adventures were just adventure spots. And there was basically not even a, a reason to go into the dungeon. It was a, there, here's a dungeon. Yeah. And whatever reason the users, uh, the users, the, the players need to go in there, that's something the players and the referee will have to come up on the spot. Yeah. The, the book doesn't give you that. That's what I love about old school because I've ran like dungeon crawls and stuff in OSR. And I have ran it for a bunch of 5e players before because they're like, we want to play old school. And I'm like, all right, cool. So then I just honestly, I think it was as basic as I went on to um, a website that would just generate an OSR dungeon and map with like creatures and loot. We started it and I'm like, all right, so you guys are in this dungeon. They're like, why are we here? And I'm like, I don't know. You want loot. <laughs> like, there's just You're just here, right? You guys are just you heard that there's gold here and you want gold. All right, let's go. That's the only reason you need. <laughs> yeah, I try to I try to often soften it a little bit for my players. So I give them a real 
introduction that they're all dirt farmers coming from Ooh. really bad backgrounds and uh, they come probably from kind of like semi-Christian conservative backgrounds and they didn't want the normal life in servitude or serfdom. <laughs> yeah, they don't they didn't want to have a family. They didn't want to work for some big farmer. They wanted to go out into the badlands and mess things up and get some, you know, fame and fortune there. So that's why they're going to be That's a good one. So that give them a start. So they know what what their background is. They're, they come from simple means. They're not like normal people. They would go out into the the wilderness and there's a bunch of superstitions, but out here the superstitions are pretty much real. There are really freaky stuff out here and they, they play with it and i always have their hirelings uh, i always make sure that they have hirelings with them they're basically extra lives so if they die they can take over a hireling and just play with that character instead so no one's left out if someone does actually die at the table but i always role play the hirelings as a, like a reality check because i the yeah. players can do whatever they want their characters as per classic D D. the players all have total control over them if they're not have a fear spell or something but otherwise they're always in control but i always role play the hirelings and I always have them shaking in their boots and they're like oh, really yeah. scared and I always make sure that the clerics always come with some kind of a comforting speech gets them up and running again so they have to like work with them otherwise they'll flee like yeah. in old D&D the hirelings have their old morale so mm -hmm. if they get too scared or something like that they'll drop their stuff or leave or even worse they won't drop their things and leave so you lose a bunch of inventory yeah which by the way, for those, again, that are listening that haven't played OSR, there is a um, mechanic called morale, which yeah. is a D6, or it's 2D6, 2D6. 2D6, um, And every creature has a score, and let's say the morale is 10. If you roll 10 or under, they stay. But if you roll 11 or 12 on 2D6, they, they're booking it. They freak they, out. They are out. Um, and that goes for creatures as well as hirelings. For creatures, it procs when over half of the, it's, I, I believe it's grouped creatures have been taken out. So if you have six zombies and a ghoul, when three of the zombies have been eliminated, the, the three remaining zombies will then be forced to do a morale check. It, it won't be like the ghoul. The ghoul will typically stay because he is the only one. At least that's how I rule it. Okay. Not just like the total number. Yeah, because the ghoul just wandered across the zombies. Like, they don't give a shit about the zombie, but the zombies are looking out for the zombies. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's, yeah. that's how I roll it. But I think the morale rules are really important. Uh, the yes. one thing that I think a lot of people don't think about, they think uh, OSR is a bunch of murder hobos who just kill people and take their stuff, which is somewhat true, of course. <laughs> I was going to say, it's pretty close. <laughs> the one thing there is that you have the morale rules, which means that both your hirelings and the opposition can fail the morale. It's not so much fighting to the death. So if people lose the morale, they'll either flee or surrender. That's a great role-playing situation there too, because if they surrender, what are you going to do with the prisoners? Are you going to cut their throats or are you going to tie them up or are you going to let them go all that can come up so it's, it's also really fun so morale keeps fights somewhat leveled people will 
not fight to the death if they're not the undead. The undead apparently just hate all living things and they will fight to the bitter end. So that's why the undead are so scary because they cannot be negotiated with. They cannot be scared. They're terrible in that way. But uh, all the other characters you can like uh, fuck around with and try to get Mm -hmm. in their heads. So that's great. And what you also have besides the morale role, you also have the reaction role, which you're supposed to roll for every character. Are they interested? Are they neutral? Are they aggressive? And you can build that out table to your own tastes, but there's a default yeah. one often with the, with the version of D&D you're, you're playing. And that is also great because most monsters will not be aggressive from the start. I always play undead as they, they hate the living. But it amplifies people can do the undead, I think, when you do that. Yeah, it makes them more terrifying. Yeah, exactly. But a bear... I mean, if there's aggressive, then I always have it. There's a cub in the area or they're really hungry. That also informs me about the characters or the NPCs or the monsters demeanor and what they've been doing up to this point. If you meet a kobold and it's friendly, that says something about the kobold. Okay, why would it be friendly to a bunch of human adventurers? Oh, maybe it's been uh, lost in the, in the catacombs for days and it's starving and it's really happy to see the, anybody and will start talking to them in their language and, you know, helping them out. And all of a sudden they get a sidekick that's a kobold. And that's really cool. So the reaction table and the morale table really shakes things up. You don't mm-hmm. really know what every interaction will be. It won't be like a video game roguelike where the monster will default attack you yeah it shakes it up and it makes the world feel i think a bit more rooted in reality especially because and this is one of the points that i had written down in describing um, what osr is which is as a player and just in general in the world of osr you do not want to fight you do not get experience from fighting compared to 5e where you you know you could theoretically go and grind out monsters endlessly and level up that way if you really yeah, wanted like to and if style. yeah if your dm was really down to do that i would never allow that <laughs> you level up and gain xp by finding treasure on a one-to-one basis one piece of gold equals one xp or silver pieces if you're playing a different yeah version i think lotfp uses silver yeah they um, think there's so much gold in the world so they use silver yeah. instead yeah they use silver So because of that, like you don't really gain anything from combat. You'll get a tiny bit of XP, but I believe it's from Labyrinth Lord. I think it's like 15 XP per hit die or something. It's really small. Something really small. I've had people in huge fights where a lot of people were dying and it was a real dangerous fight. The monsters were not failing the morale tests and and the players weren't backing down either. So it was like really cutthroat fights. And then they just... Okay, how much XP do we get? Like, this is at work. So they had, there were like six people there. Okay, you get uh, 250 XP. <laughs> I mean, as a group. What? And they get super pissed. I tell them, like, fighting is not yeah. advantageous. Don't do it. I mean, if you have to, you have to, but don't expect a lot of XP for it. Yeah, you, you get loot from going to treasure chests and looting it. I always uh, tell my players, you don't want to go picking a fight. You fight if you absolutely have to, like you just said. Like, if you are cornered and you reason with um, the trolls or whoever and whatnot, and then they still don't, you know, want to engage you in that sense. If you have no other option, then sure. But more often than not, it's just not worth it. No. There's way too high of a risk. Yeah. That brings up one thing, because I think that a lot of role players who play role-playing games... The role-playing game says always roll a die when it's most interesting to do so, when the outcome is 
interesting. And that my sense from old school D&D, but also uh, Sean McCoy, one of the creators of a new OSR game called Mothership. I love Mothership. He says the same thing. He spells it out, which old D&D doesn't do. He says, try to roll dice as little as possible because the probabilities are not in your favor. So it's very binary. You succeed or you fail. And failure can be very costly. So don't engage in things that bring in dice or chance. So if you can come up with a solution to blow up a building that is very safe and it doesn't involve any dice rolling, do it that way. But if you go into the building and start fighting hand-to-hand combat room for room in the building, that is super dangerous. And you might likely get killed. I always think that rolling dice in OSR games is almost punishment. It's something to avoid, which is very different from other games. Because even if they have a somewhat unforgiving uh, curve of, of success, they'll still have, you know, a negative outcome could still be quite good. They, they usually have like yes and rules and a, a complication and stuff. So all the outcomes are fun, basically. But in old school D&D, it's just like you either succeed or you fail. And if you fail, something probably bad will happen. Yeah. Some players really struggle with that because they come from other games and think that, okay, as soon as I get to roll dice, that's when the game's actually happening. And in OSR, I think it's not really necessarily that case. It can be troublesome for some players to understand that it's not a good situation when you have to bring out the dice, oh, which yeah. can seem counterintuitive compared to other games. Yeah, and that's I think um I think that's something I've also noticed too in players that have switched um coming from a modern system to like this system like ooh, I want to fight something. Let's beat something up and it's like mm. Yeah, okay, well let, <laughs> do let's do that. It? It'll be super interesting. It'll be dramatic if nothing else. <laughs> yeah, um but uh they they quickly quickly pick up on it. That generally provides some of the funniest stuff. So like one of my favorite stories is I was running Stonehell Dungeon, which if you've never run Stonehell Dungeon, please do yourself a favor and go and run it. Um, It is one of the most fantastic, fantastic mega dungeon. But anyway, over lockdown, I was kind of like, well, I am furloughed from work for who knows how long. Let's just basically just play this and actually get through it. Like we are going to play every single night and we're going to get through it. It was me and some buddies that were in the same boat as me. We actually played the entirety of it. They were Great. a bunch of 5e players. There was a one player that had played old school before, um, mm. and he was he was playing smart as well. And we had a player come in, and he immediately died. Like, immediately, immediately died. So they're like, okay. So he rolls up another character. We used a, a Labyrinth Lord generator, which uh, rolled him at level one wearing plate mail. Okay, buddy. Well, you can lead the pack then. And he's like, okay. So he goes in and he sees a doorway. And I didn't plan it like this. This is just how Stone Hell was written and how, you know, that room was laid out. He kicks the door open and screams charge. Uh, There were three hags in there that were performing some kind of dark magic ritual. And because he said charge, I'm like, okay, well, they're going to be aggro now because like of what you're saying. So they all rolled and immediately bodied him just like immediately (laughs) and i said that he basically blew back and because he he only had like three health so he immediately just like fucking died yeah and i'm like yeah dude you just died they rolled like eight damage and you have three health so and he's like oh my god i died within the minute and the first thing that one of the other players said was can i take his plate boots (laughs) like no way no time or anything at all they quickly learned 
you take what you get and you basically just are in survive mode until you yeah. can get it like at least a level or two on. I also so. play it that way that the characters come in with their gold, which is basically they took everything they had, sold it, and they're going to invest it into this adventuring gear that they're going to buy now. So they go down and I have them sleeping basically under the under bushes in town in the first <laughs> days. Like I show how stark it is. They have to adventure basically to get any real money. And when they, as soon as they get money, they start living the life. They go to the pubs. They start spending, buying nice things. You're basically a crust punk in OSR. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's what you are. You get a golden party. Classic XP rules in old school D&D is that you yeah. go adventure, you bring home your gold or the treasure, the magic items too, and then you m- immediately get your XP when you bring it home. But I amend those rules. So I have it so that the players, when they come home, they have to spend the gold to get the XP, which really makes it so that they start spending a lot of money very quickly. And I have other rules that I, if you spend it on very flashy clothes, you get 1.5 XP for every gold Ooh. point you, you you spend. So they they start like having ostrich feathers and really weird headpieces and they're, <laughs> they're like really clothing. nouveau riche very quickly. I love that. I try to steer the players in that way. So they spend a lot of money partying and uh, and buying weird stuff. So that's how they do it. But of course, in my group at work, they lived the life and then all of them died. So they went from, you know, up across in the village down to the absolute bottom again. So they had to move themselves up one more time because all the most uh, experienced players died in the dungeon. That's great. So the survival and, and the lifestyle of your players will vary very quickly depending on what happens in the dungeon. So just because they quickly get a lot of money doesn't mean that they'll have that forever. <laughs> and most of the times they don't. They spend it all. Yeah, I. It, it's the small little act, interactions like that. Um the way that XP is done and everything that I think it, it lends itself so much more to storytelling and traditional fantasy world building and stuff rather than going in and then just beating stuff up, which is what a lot of 5e is. Um, yeah. We haven't really discussed what our show is going to be called. Uh, yeah. Well, we have discussed it, but we maybe haven't finalized it. One suggestion is, and we'll see if it sticks. Me and Gabe will have to l- test a little bit, see if we like it. So you, the listeners, will <laughs> notice if it doesn't stick. <laughs> yeah. But we were thinking about calling it Fortune Seekers and Grave Robbers. Yeah, I like that. I think it represents OSR quite well. Because everyone's just trying to go and find some gold and do some grave robbing in a temple or cavern or dungeon or something like that. Some catacombs. I always like Adam in the Full Metal RPG podcast, he once said that he always felt that D&D at his heart was a, basically a satire over libertarianism and how <laughs> you kind of make fun of that kind of, you know, go get them, uh, pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of game. But you're actually out there uh, killing people and uh, taking relics back to town and selling them and, and partying and losing a lot of comrades uh, on the way. Yeah, a and, lot. Uh, Dealing with a lot of PTSD. Yeah, that's that that is a good comparison. I, I have never heard him <laughs> say that, but I like that. And uh, we can maybe also discuss what we're going to bring up next episode. Yeah. Well, we hope that this podcast has been working out <laughs> so far. We are winging it. <laughs> we're doing what we can. 
But we have plans to continue, of course. So we figured this first episode will be discussing basically what we think, what the OSR playstyle is and what we like about it and our experiences with it. But the next episode will bring up uh, the old school renaissance as a scene. Uh, what is the old school renaissance if you think of it as a, a cultural movement? And there's a lot of people who've created new games and adventures for that. So we figured that we'll bring it up next episode and discuss our favorites, some of the maybe the more famous ones, so people can get a sense of what, not just how you play it, but what, actually what games can you get or what books can you get and read Yeah, well, and try out. Almost like a how-to guide, because there, there are a lot of people I've talked to that are really interested in it. But like I mentioned um, earlier, they're either a little intimidated by what they've heard or... Mm. Um, you know, misconceptions of it, or why would I want to play something that's old when I can just play something new? The iterative process of game design doesn't really work, I think, when you're talking about D&D, because the versions yeah. are so different. So I think the old school versions of D&D and their retro clones have something really great in them that has sadly been, not sadly, but it has been lost. So th that means that the old versions still have a lot of validity. And there's, there's so much content for OSR. Literally, you're talking decades of content. Seriously, I'm really into the scene. I think we're in a golden age. Mm -hmm. uh, I buy a lot of stuff just because I think I have to, for my own sake, document it and see what's been released. And uh, that's my only... <laughs> game interest I, i've stopped playing video games pretty much uh i might check out things from free league but i buy it mostly to support them but i don't play their stuff because i don't have time i, I yeah. play a, a old school D D once every week so, <laughs> so that's basically <laughs> what i've been doing for the past two years now i i'm excited to kind of dive into this next part with um the scene because you have everything from just like pure absolute clone mimicking the first edition rules all the way up to this barely resembles OSR. So th there's a lot to cover in that. I'm really excited to talk about that. That'll be great. I'm also looking forward to it. So we hope that the next episode will be released in about a month's time. Yeah. So if you want to hang out and, uh, and such, I suspect many of you will find this episode via Full Metal RPG, our sister podcast from Phoenix. So if you guys want to hang out with us, you can find us on the Discord channel for Full Metal RPG. And if you have any feedback, please write to us there and we'll take it into consideration and try to evolve the podcast as we do it. Drop us some suggestions too, or questions or anything like that. We, we really just decided to start this because, you know, me and Malcolm have so many good long conversations. There's been more than one occasion where we've been in a party chat of like five people and then it's it's dwindled down to just both of us talking about old school <laughs> for like three hours. So, yeah, we figured why not share the uh, share that knowledge and talk about it some more because it is a golden era of of RPGs, specifically the OSR. And I think that this isn't going to last forever. I hope it does. But the realist in me says that this will eventually come to a slow point and then something new will come from it. So I'm trying to appreciate it as absolute much as I can, because it's just such a good time to be a role player. I, I, I think that's just the same for like anything, even if you're just into 5e, you know, and you only play 5e because of critical role. Like it is such a good time to be a D&D player. And I think that yeah. it's such a good time to be a 5e player. And it's such a good time to be an OSR player that if you're listening to this and you've never tried old school, just do yourself a favor, just give it a shot. And hopefully, you know, we can help you guide along 
the way and suggest some cool stuff to you or answer some cool answers or something like that. We'll do our best to to spread the love and the appreciation for the scene. So much has been done. It's so cool. We love it. We hope you guys will enjoy it too. Yeah. Until next time. Until next time. Great. We have an episode. <laughs>